Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning. My name is Andrew. I'm a pastor on staff here, and I'll join Alan in congratulating you on making it through the rain. Um, Our new high school pastor, his name is Jason Hepner. You haven't met him yet. He's from uh, the L.A. area, so I looked at him today and said, this is called rain. Um, <laughs> it's really good for the, for the land. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, he thought that that was really mean. Um, <laughs> I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and I, and I swear I'm not always this, like, depressing when I speak. Um, but this... <laughs> This feels like the third or fourth time in a row I've, I've gotten up uh, in the midst of, of a terrible tragedy in our world. And uh, the last few weeks, San Bernardino uh, is not far from where I grew up, about 30 minutes away. And uh, that hit me uh, in a really personal way, that, in, a, in a way that actually surprised me. And it's just, it, it felt like another act of violence, another senseless killing. And if you were... Uh, watching the news, or um, you, you may have seen that a few days after that happened, the New York Daily News had this headline uh, that kind of went viral, I guess, and it was, um, God isn't fixing this. I think I have a picture. God isn't fixing this. Now, admittedly, this was a politically charged kind of social media campaign, um, you know, about a lack of political action after another tragedy. I don't want to talk about that, but I think Uh, Just behind the veneer of uh, political frustration uh, is a deep religious frustration. And I think people are beginning to wonder after so much violence and pain how anyone can believe that there's a God out there who's going to fix anything. So it's up to us. We've got to do something. We want this world to get better. And, And honestly, I get it. I get it. And there are times... Or I catch myself wondering, is God really up to anything in all of this? And sometimes I catch myself living as if I'm on my own. And and sometimes I catch myself questioning God. God, where are you? What are you doing? What, what What could you possibly be doing? And during this Christmas season, uh, in the midst of all that, the Bible keeps pointing me back to this story, this story that we just read the story of a baby born. And I have to admit that this story is all I have as a Christian to answer the doubts and questions of our age and the doubts of my own heart. What I have is a Jewish teenage girl conceiving out of wedlock 2,000 years ago in Roman Palestine. And this is how God ultimately is fixing this mess that we find ourselves in. This is God's rescue plan. And I know, I know that it sounds ridiculous. And if you're here and you're, you're not a believer, it may even sound stupid to you, but don't dismiss it. Consider it. Don't, don't miss it. Examine it this morning because the biblical claim, and I needed this reminder this week, the biblical claim is that this story is for all people. We all need this. This, in, in many ways, is the Bible's answer to every question for all people, for all time, every meaningful question. This is the biblical claim that God's rescue plan in the Christmas story, it's it's surprising, it's dumbfounding maybe, and from the beginning it has been difficult for people to accept. You're going to see that in the story. And yet we need it so desperately, even now, maybe even especially now. So if you haven't turned to Matthew chapter 1, do that now. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, chapter 1. 
And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reread, starting at verse 18, a few of the verses of this story. And here's how it goes. Now, now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son. And you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And, and one of the more striking points of the story that you can't miss, basically, right off the bat, is how little sense God's rescue makes to us. <laughs> How surprising it is. God's, ref, God's rescue often makes no sense to us at all. And, and this is a story that we've heard so much, though. Uh, we're so familiar with it, I think we forget the absurdity of what I just read. And it's no wonder that people don't believe this, that this actually happened, that God is fixing anything in this story. And if you're a Christian, you're banking your life on this story, and it's so bizarre. And you feel that confusion best, I think, when you actually uh, put yourself in the shoes of Joseph, who's, who's really the main character of this story uh, in Matthew. And, and, and from Mary's perspective on all of this, you've got to go to Luke chapter 1. But for, Ma for Joseph's perspective, Matthew gives us here in our text. And, and for Joseph, this rescue plan, it makes no sense. So put yourself in this story. Okay, I'm going to take a little imaginative license in how we do this. Uh, but I don't think it's unfounded. So put yourself in the story. Imagine you are a Jewish carpenter in a small town. You don't have much. Your life is not very extravagant, and it never will be. But you're okay with that, because one of the things that you want most in the world is a family. You want your own family. You want that simple joy of a loving wife, a companion, a, a partner, and, and the joy of children, should God bless you that way little feet running around the carpentry shop, getting into trouble, right? The white picket fence, the whole deal. That's all you want. In your shop, it's doing well, well enough to offer a decent life to a young girl, and you're excited because in a few months, you're finally going to get her. Her name is Mary, and she's young, and she's beautiful, and she's yours. She's yours. You're already engaged, and at the time, to, uh, to be engaged, it was, that was legally binding, uh, at the, and, and you've already taken vows together, uh, a betrothal before the wedding. You've already looked into each other's eyes and you said, I do. And now all that's left to do is wait for the big day when you can finally be together. And, and in a traditional culture, um, this is the moment in many ways that your whole life is pointing to. Right? Seriously, we, we, we don't live in a traditional culture anymore. So we, there's no, for Joseph, there's no, hey, where are you going to go to college? There's no, hey, what are you going to do with your, what do you want to do for a job? What do you want your career to be? What do, you, what do you like to do? I mean, all those questions were answered for him. The second he was born into a carpenter's family. Joseph, you're going to be a carpenter, just like your dad and his dad and his dad. And the question of your life, in many ways, uh, is when are you going to settle down and start a family? And you're this close to that. You're, you're working hard. You're getting the house ready. You're making plans you can't wait. Your families can't wait. They're looking forward to this. And frankly, the whole town that you live in can't wait because other than weddings and a couple religious festivals, nothing happens in this town, okay? <laughs> this wedding is the event of the year. Everyone's talking about it. They're talking to you about it. 
It's all anyone's thinking about. You and Mary, right? The dream couple. They're great together. Now Mary is off at her cousin's house, Elizabeth, and she left kind of suddenly about three months ago. That's not unusual. Um, they're close. They've always been close. And Elizabeth is pregnant herself. She's about to have a baby, and she needs help getting the house ready, no doubt. And, and then finally, one day, Mary comes back to town, and your friend uh, comes up to you, and he, and he looks nervous. He says to you, so have you seen Mary yet? She's back. And you say, no, I, I want to, but uh, I've got work to do. I'm, uh, maybe after work, I'll stop by. And, he's, and he kind of gets your attention says, no, you need to go now. You go right now. And so now you're scared, now you're nervous, and you're, you're walking to her parents' house, and you walk in, and no one will talk to you. Something's clearly wrong. You find Mary alone, and she turns to you, and she tries to tell you something, uh, but you can't hear it, because all you see is that she's starting to show. She's pregnant. And your whole world just collapses. Your dreams, your future, your love, it's it's over. It's in a moment. It's over. And you go home and you lay down in your bed and you just start to weep because you know, you know you've got a choice to make. And there are only two versions of this story that anyone's going to be talking about. Okay, you've gotta, you, you can leave her. You can divorce her. And everyone will know that Mary cheated on you. Or you can marry her. And which maybe deep down you still desperately want to do, but everyone will assume that you cheated on God. They'll assume you two broke your vows, you're the father of that baby, and you got married to kind of cover it up. That's it. That's your choice. There's only two versions of the story that anyone's going to believe. There it is. And you know that really there's no choice at all. It's not just your future and your reputation at stake here. Your whole family will be ruined if you marry this girl, if there's even a hint that you adulterated with her and it will affect your brothers and your sisters and your parents and everyone you know, everyone will pay for Mary's mistake if you marry this girl. And, and as you try to make sense of it all, what am I gonna do? As you fall asleep, you're, you're saying the same prayer over and over again to yourself, God, just fix this. Just, I can't fix it. You fix it. And suddenly, in a dream, an angel, a messenger of the Lord, tells you this. He says, Joseph, son of David. No one calls you son of David. <laughs> Joseph, son of David. It's a kingly title. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And you must look confused. <laughs> Because I imagine the angel keeps going. Don't you remember what the prophet Isaiah said? Don't you remember? The virgin will conceive and bear a son and he'll be called Emmanuel. That's, Joseph, that's what I'm telling you. Jesus is Emmanuel. And you wake up with even more questions than you had than when you went to sleep. But one has been answered for you. You have got to marry this girl. Despite everything that means, you've got to marry this girl. And five or six months later, after this dream, you meet Emmanuel, kicking and screaming in a manger in Bethlehem. But you remember in that moment, he doesn't need a name. I don't have a name for him. He's already got a name, Jesus, which means God rescues, God saves. And everything I've just said 
is how God rescues the entire world. That's the story. And it's like, what? In the middle of a a marital crisis in a nowhere town, in a nowhere province, God tells a nobody carpenter that his son will be God's son and that he will save his people from their sin. See, no one expected God's rescue to look like this. No one. And yet, it has so much to say about who God is, what he wants to do in your life, and what he is doing in this broken world. And one 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 of the first things we learn about God's rescue here is this. It's, it's God's rescue is always bigger than we think it is. It's always bigger. Even in the midst of terrible tragedy and heartache and loss, God is always doing something much larger that we often don't understand. See, that's the pattern of the whole Bible. And, and Joseph's story is no different. He has real problems, just like we do. He thinks that his biggest problem, the biggest thing in his life, is that his marriage is falling apart. And who can blame him? That's, that's what's happening. Our, our biggest problems, they consume us too, don't they? Maybe it's for you, it is a struggling marriage, wayward children, financial stress, unemployment, underemployment, aging parents, whatever it is that's looming large on your plate right now, you think about it all the time. It's just kind of what we do. And you could add a layer on top of that. The problems of the world consume us. God, stop this war, end this conflict, save these people, stop this evil. And for many of the the Jews in in Jesus' day, in Joseph's day, the problems of the world was Rome, the foreign occupier, the pagan nation that now ruled over them, and they're waiting for God's rescue from that. And they and we often look to God and say, God, fix this, fix my problem, fix this broken world, even if we don't say it out loud. It's what we feel, isn't it? And God's response, I, I think this text teaches me, is, it can, is something like this, oh, if only it were that easy, if I could just fix that. Your problem is so much bigger than that. The rescue is much larger than what Joseph was looking for. Notice the angel does not say, Joseph, his name will be Jesus because he'll save, you, he'll save your marriage, Joseph. And it's not Jesus, his name is Jesus, he'll save your reputation, Joseph, or he'll save your country, Joseph. He says, I'll save you, he'll save you from your sin, Joseph. That's what Jesus will do. It's much larger than what he was looking for, it's it's larger than what we're looking for. But that's because the problem God is fixing is much larger than we think. So just think about it. If God can miraculously create a child in a virgin girl, what problem of yours could he not solve right now? Is there a problem in your life bigger than that right now? No, of course not. Maybe you've asked him that very question. God, there's nothing that you can't do. Can't you just double my income or change that person's mind or whatever it is that you think you need? God, can't you just fix it quickly? And sometimes we get angry or frustrated with God because he isn't just solving the problem even though we, we know, we know He's more than capable of doing that. So either God doesn't understand the problem or we don't. The problem is not our problems. It's our sin. And this is a basic teaching of the Bible that you have to grasp if any of it's going to make sense to you, okay? Sin is the problem behind every other problem. And not just in our moral choices, not just in the wrongs we do, but it's broken the world. It's broken our bodies. It's broken the natural world. It's broken everything. 
You see, in the beginning, we trusted God perfectly in Adam and Eve, but when sin entered the world, the lie that we need to run from God, that He is our enemy, He does not have our best in mind. We are better off without Him. We know better than He does. That lie was planted deep into the human race. And now all of us are infected by it. And we've been running ever since. And that is the problem. That's why marriage is hard. That's why people shoot other people for no reason. That's why we do things to each other that we know are wrong, but we do them anyway. It's why we lie when we're ashamed. It's why we feel shame in the first place. It's why there's a refugee crisis it's why there's genocide. It's why your body is broken and you get cancer and you die. It's the problem behind every other problem. God's rescue is bigger than you think because your sin is a part of the problem. And God, I mean, look at it this way. God basically has to tell Joseph, Joseph, Jesus is my son, not yours, because you're a part of the problem. If he were your son, he couldn't save anybody. He needs a divine father. That's why the virgin birth is so important. This isn't a fairy tale that Matthew made up later on. This isn't some primitive doctrine that ancient people accepted because they're dumb, but we've moved on because we're modern and we're smart. Joseph wasn't dumb. He knows where babies come from. Okay, this was hard for him to stomach too, but if the problem is sin, then we need a savior who is without sin. And we need an, a new Adam, right? A new humanity from God, not from Joseph, to rescue us. And that's what Jesus is. Okay, here's another way to look at it. Uh, you know cancer is bad. You know it's bad. When you see someone willingly getting chemotherapy and radiation to treat it. Now, maybe some of you have done that. Some of you know people. You're close to people who've done that. You know the disease is dangerous when the cure is that drastic. When the cure is poison yourself for six months or three months or whatever while we blast you with radiation, that's how you know cancer is bad. Even if you never felt it before you got diagnosed, that's how you know. The same is true of our problem. We know the problem is bad because the rescue plan was God becoming a baby in Jesus Christ. You know the problem is bad when the infinite God becomes human, becomes vulnerable becomes killable. When God says the only way to fix this and to fix you is to float an amniotic fluid for nine months in a virgin Jewish teenager, to be born in the midst of a genocide, we'll get to that next Sunday, to live a completely human life, die on a cross as an innocent man for the sins of the world, alone and abandoned, when that is the solution, how bad is the problem? Why is this rescue bigger than we think? Well, it's because the problem's bigger than we think. It's bigger than what Joseph thought. It's bigger than what I often think. But Christmas reminds us sin is the ultimate problem that God is fixing. And listen, you may be thinking <laughs> that this guy is crazy. <laughs> the story's crazy. Sin isn't real. This doesn't need to happen. I don't believe it. I've, if that's you, I've got to ask you. I understand, but I've got to ask you. How is your rescue plan going for yourself? I mean, really, maybe you've never thought about it that way. Really, think about it. What rescue plan do you have for yourself? What is your whole life pointing to? If I can just get it, 
then I'll be happy. Maybe you've never even said that out loud, but think about your life. What is it all pointing to when I get that job, that girl, that guy? When I get a little financial margin, when I get enough in my savings account, when I get the last kid off to college, when I can buy that house or be in that school district or retire here. You see, if you don't believe in God's rescue, what rescue are you believing in? There's something, there's something you're banking your life on. And have you ever stopped and assessed your life and thought, what is this all for? What is it for? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Will any of the things I care about now, will they matter on my deathbed? What's your rescue plan? How's it going? Is it going the way you thought that it would? Or do you find that you keep shipwrecking on the same character flaws over and over and over again? Okay, we're 11 and a half months into 2015. How's your New Year's resolution going? Do you even remember what it is? Why are we so willing to question a story like this but unwilling to put ourselves to the same test? I do this all the time. Why do I trust myself so much more than anything and anyone else in my life? Why is it so hard to believe that Matthew 1 is true but so easy to believe that I know better than 2,000 years of tradition and eyewitness testimony? But I assume I know better, don't I? Yeah, I know. Five years ago, I couldn't start a lawnmower. No kidding. I didn't know how. <laughs> and it's kind of a joke, but I, I trust my life with that guy. Why? Why? Joseph had a plan to get married, settle down, live the dream, but it got blown up by the arrival of Jesus. That's what Jesus does with our rescue plans. But Joseph had to consider God's plan over against his own. He had to choose it. So have you really considered God's plan for you here in the Christmas story? Have you ever given it the time of day? Because it's bigger than we think, and it's so much better. It's so much better than we think it is, really. That's the second thing the story teaches us. God's rescue is so much better than we think it is. And to get at this point, we need to do a little history lesson here, okay? This title that Jesus has given, Emmanuel, it's very important in the book of Matthew and in the whole, whole, whole Bible. What does it mean? Well, it's a reference to an old promise of God in Isaiah chapter 7. And it was originally for King Ahaz when Judah was besieged by its, by its enemies, surrounded by its enemies. And Ahaz, is, long story short, is not a good king, does not trust in the Lord, puts his own plan together to get rid of his enemies, right? Does that sound familiar? He's got his own plan. <laughs> anyway, God sent a prophet, Isaiah, to... Ahaz, and, and, and essentially said this, to prove that my rescue plan is better than yours, Ahaz, a son will be born. The young woman will give birth. The Hebrew here probably can be translated young woman or virgin. I think the nuance here is young woman. When Matthew picks it up, the nuance he picks is virgin. He's very clear that Mary's a virgin. It says the young woman will give birth. And before the boy is old enough to know right from wrong, I'll have taken care of your enemies says God. And that is how you will know God is with you. Emmanuel. Which is the, what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. That's the promise to Ahaz. But Isaiah keeps going. And he take this, this theme of a son who's born, he, he keeps talking, and, and, and he's more than just a sign to Ahaz. 
to trust God. Here is how Isaiah describes the son in chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forevermore. And I can tell you that no king of Judah and no king of any country ever after could be described this way. Isaiah is talking about a cosmic king, a child who is God, a king over the whole universe, a perfect kingdom of justice and righteousness unlike the world has ever known. And so when Matthew tells us Jesus is Emmanuel, he is saying this is the rescue plan from the beginning that I've been showing you. This is not a rescue plan of God. It is the rescue plan of God for all people, for all time, forever. And if our problem is sin, if our problem is running from God, then God's solution cannot be obey these rules and then you can come to me. Then you can be near me. That cannot be. If our problem is sin, that cannot be the solution. The solution must be Emmanuel. God with us. God chasing us. God come to us. And that is exactly who Jesus claims to be. The God who from the beginning has been chasing you. Not the other way around. Chasing all of us, each one of us, whether we know it or not. And he's here to fix this broken world. You see, there is a reason that the story of Emmanuel, God come down, has taken root in different kinds of people, different cultures, all over the world for 2,000 years. It's because this is the greatest story ever told. If you don't want to believe it, it's because it promises too much. Who doesn't want Jesus, the God-man who takes away the sins of the world? Who doesn't want God with us? The God who descends just to be with us even though we, don't, we weren't looking for him. We didn't want him. And do you know what this rescue plan means? It means that there is no, there's no one too far from God. There is no person so immoral. There is no culture so corrupt. There's no evil so powerful. There's no mistake so bad. There's no sin so unforgivable that God can't come near right now to you. Jesus and the kingdom he brings, it's for everyone. It means that right now, today, you can have him. He's been waiting for you. But just like Joseph, don't miss this, we have to choose him. We have to choose him. When the angel comes to Joseph and says, receive Mary and the child within her, don't forsake her, don't divorce her, Joseph is presented with a choice, as are we. Every Christmas, believer or not believer, we're presented with this choice afresh. You can have either your personal freedom to do what you want. You can have your reputation, your comfort, your security. You can keep your name and your title and your honor and your life. You can keep your rescue plan or you can have Jesus. You can have Emmanuel. You can have God's rescue plan for your life, but what you cannot do is have them both. When Jesus comes into the world, he disrupts it. He challenges it. When he comes into your life, he will do the same thing, and he will offer you a choice. What's it going to be? And here's what Jesus says. 
He says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So choose him. There is no better rescue plan out there for you. Let's pray. Father, we can't fix this. We can't fix ourselves. We can't fix our relationships. We can't fix the world. We can't fix this. We can't. We need your rescue. We need you here. We need Emmanuel every second of every day. Help us to remember you are fixing this and you proved it when you entered our world. When you sent your son and named him Jesus, which means God saves. We pray all this in his name. Amen.